0: Hello and welcome to the Gifted Podcast. I am your host, Neeraj Mulani, and in the Gifted Podcast, I speak with elite athletes as we try to challenge the misconception that athletes are just some people who are talented or gifted with special abilities at birth. Every week, I am joined by an elite athlete as we try to break down what it truly takes and means to be an athlete. If you're an aspiring athlete or just a casual sports fan, you will definitely enjoy this podcast as I get candid with athletes about their journey, their achievements, moments of heartbreak, and most importantly moments of hard work and perseverance. So tune in. In today's episode, I have with me Olympian Goran Nava. Goran is a middle distance runner who represented Serbia at the Beijing Olympics in the 1500 meter track and field event. In our chat today, Goran and I go back to the year 2007, one year before the Beijing Olympics, when Goran had been a corporate employee for two good years and suddenly decided to pursue his dream of becoming an Olympian. And what crazy chain of events that set off, leading him to qualify for the Olympics by a margin of 0.17 seconds. So without taking any longer, let's get straight to it. Welcome Goran to the Gifted Podcast. We are really happy to have you today. I'm um, really excited to know more about your journey. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great, uh, Niroi. Thanks for inviting me to join the gift, that it's a beautiful opportunity to share
0: with you my story. Right. And how's life treating you in Austria these days?
1: Well, I'm actually you know, in a beautiful part of, of the world. Uh, as I'm speaking, I'm sitting in Zell am See. Zell am See is located one hour away from Salzburg, a beautiful city, the city of, of Mozart. Uh, Everybody knows the beauty of the music that Mozart produced. Maybe less people know the beauty of this place. Um, Beautiful mountains, lakes. It's a great place. Sunny day. It's the great day of September. And uh, really, really excited to go more into the story about uh, who I am in sports and today in business as a person. It's really fantastic to be joining you.
0: Perfect. Uh, we we share the same excitement. So let's start at the beginning, shall we? Um, I, I wanted to understand what would be the the initial foundation that you know set you up for a career in athletics. So I wanted to understand where did you grow up and what were the early influences that you think you know set you on a path for athletics.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I grew up in the outskirts of Milan, Italy. Um, I was um, the oldest brother of, of two um, and in a standard family of um, business executives. My father was a business executive. My mother uh, was taking care of us at home. So a beautiful family, typical beautiful Italian family. And uh, as we started to, we were in the States when we were younger, when we was four. I was a kid, so I grew up always in a very international environment. And very early on, I remember that the first influencers in my My life, of course, as everybody is, is, uh, you know, your direct family, your parents. And by the fact that we were in the States first, then in Italy, you start to understand that you don't live in a small, just in a small village or a small city. The world is there. The world is big. So it was immediately like, think big, uh, dream big. What are your dreams, my son? And that is when, of course, as you grow up, you start many different sports. And in Italy, you know, soccer is the Bible. So you have to play soccer. If you don't play soccer, you're not accepted. <laughs> and that was actually pretty good. <laughs> I had a very good left hand, beautiful left left hand, and you start to play at school with friends. And I was also, you know, in all the other sports, uh, climbing and volleyball and basketball, and even swimming. But that's when all of a sudden you start to see that. Yes, when I was in, in a pool, I was swimming as hard as I could, but man, I was not moving. Literally, I was making a lot of water, but there was maybe a, a four-year-old girl that was maybe swimming next to me, and that was da- going double speed, and that was putting my full, full, full effort. And also other sports, basketball, you make a shot, you miss it. You make a second shot, you miss it. And then when you make a 10-shot exercise, and you miss nine out of 10, of course, you understand maybe that's not my, you know, my path. And that's when all of a sudden you you start to see, well, you are also the one that when everybody was uh, running, I was the one that was keep, you know, I kept running. So everybody, I was going to get the ball I was running. I, I was very, you know, very fast. And also, I, I guess I had a natural talent as a, as a young kid uh, in this particular sport, in, in in athletics, in running, but I was not a member of any type of club. So when it comes to when I was nine, uh, nine and a half, that's when... I started to uh, be uh, more exposed directly to the athletics. I was uh, invited to run in a cross-country race. And to, to give you a little bit of a hint, my father was talking to me in English at the time so that nobody in Italy would understand the strategy and the running technique of that very first race. So that's when I showed up in the middle of nowhere. I was considered the American because imagine everybody speaking Italian, and just one kid speaks American. And that's when, wow, I won that first race from not even training. So that's when, thanks to the introduction of you know, my father, my mother, they brought us to different sports. And uh, when I naturally realized that, yes, I can be uh, very good in one sport, in athletics, in running, you know, that's when you start to have an appetite. And I remember as a kid, very vividly, I received a big, big trophy. And that big trophy was bigger than my face, bigger than me. And that's when, that's when you start to think, well, if I do this, I get this reward. So it's an, a Pavlov type of reinforcement scheme. So I, I want to continue to do that. And that's exactly what happened. So I started in, uh, in this particular sport. And that's when also uh, I wanted to make all the other sports, but then I had an accident. And I had an accident when I was uh, very young, 10, and uh, I had an accident in a gym where I actually hit the pole during a volleyball. There was a pole and I broke, of course, part of my teeth. And that was a very, very heavy thing to experience because, you know, you change also your teeth and you have your adult teeth. And all of a sudden, you could not play any more soccer. You could not play any more basketball. You could not even contemplate to do any other sport. And you had to play a very, very safe sport. That's when, yes, I had to continue just with the one only sport that was athletics. The other one would have been swimming, but I was, as I said before, I was very, not very, was very slow. So that's when athletics became the one sport when I, where I started to invest time and uh, to build my initial dreams uh, as a child.
0: And, you know, like you mentioned, that you, you won your first uh, medal when you were just 10 years old. And you're obviously very talented in running for your age. But you mentioned in our previous call that, you know, you studied various different uh, courses in school as well. So Latin, Greek, English, finance, everything. And you're also a very smart student in school. How do you think those years set you up for a career, be it in sports or outside? Because I do know that you are excelling in the the business profession as well now.
1: Well, absolutely. Uh, You just brought it up. I had to make a choice when I was uh, then 12. What school, what high school do I really want to attend? And that's when uh, I was a good student. I decided to go to attend the Liceo Classico. Liceo Classico is the hardest, by by far, the hardest school you can imagine in Italy, which actually just was awarded the best school in Italy last year. And, the you know, you mentioned the, the curriculum study is, is based on Latin, ancient Greek, uh, Uh, philosophy, even experimental version of including physics, including chemistry at the very high level. So you could buy the arts uh, of uh, humanity with the sciences of humanity. And that's where all of a sudden you start to talk and to read about Homerus, about Sophocles. About uh, all the Latin writers uh, and uh, Seneca, and you start to read about this history that is full of events, full of personalities, full of major accomplishments in in, in the history of humankind. And that by just by being in this environment, you cannot uh, remain totally um, agnostic to the fact that humanity has progressed through big dreams and big personalities that went after their dreams. Uh, you start to talk, you know, read about Elf Thomas Alva Edison. You're, you're discovering a new continent. You, you really go through that phase of life where you're like a sponge. And you understand that the world has progressed thanks to these personalities, thanks to these dreams and individual accomplishments. And that's when you also, as a person, start to think, wow, I also want to have that type of life. And uh, yes, it was very demanding. But that's kind, that is the school, that is the environment that forged my mind more than my body to really understand that anything is possible. And anything is possible if you put your mind to that. And that, of course, you have, you, you have a lot of organizational things you have to be taken care of. I had to go to training at 5 p.m. and come back at 7 p.m. whenever it was rainy, cold, uh, no matter what. So you learn very on that uh, in order to be successful, you also have to be structured. You have to be organized. You have to be methodical in the, in the way you manage your daily tasks. So that, that started to be, as, you, as you're 16, 17, 18, as you can imagine, that's the age when a lot of people want to go out, have a drink. A lot of people want to go out and have a good time with friends. And that's when you know, I had to remember on Saturday nights, I had to say to my friends, I'm sorry, guys, I have to go home. And when you're 17, believe me, it's very hard to leave all your friends. And if you have maybe romantic stories, also to leave uh, the girl that, maybe that you really like with uh, all the other guys. And you have to go home because you have these, these dreams. And the only thing that kept me, kept me really focused was the fact that I had really big dreams in my mind. So I would justify that in my, with myself. I would say, yes, I have a reason. I have a reason to go home. I have a reason to really commit to what I'm doing, and I had to make sacrifices with friends, but there was a big reason behind. And that is when, of course, uh, you you make also decisions about the next step of your life. Once you are a teen, you have to think about how I want to be as an adult. What am I going to do in life? They ask you, "What, are you, what do you want to be in life?" Well, when you're a kid, you want to be an astronaut. You want to be a you know you want to be something very heroic. But then, as you mature, Of course, you want to make sure you can do something you're good at. And I understood at the time, yes, athletics could have been, for me, a way also to continue to get an education and to finance also my education. And that is exactly what I decided to do. When I was 17, all my friends were thinking about, okay, yes, we're going to go finish high school. And I was thinking, yes, that's great. But then I also have to prepare for my university career. And October comes, starts to be foggy, starts to be cold in Milan. And that's when I remember having to go again with my family 7 a.m. to take the TOEFL, Test of English as a Foreign Language, to make sure that I could apply for a university. And then I had to take the SAT. And that's when I, you know, I had to make sure you study. So you had to study two times, three times, making sure that I was well prepared. And all of a sudden, to give you ex- a very small also anecdote, somebody in the world of athletics came to me and said, Gorn, listen, I heard you want to go to the States for your university degree. Are you serious about that? I answered, of course, yes, I am. Because a lot of people at your age, they have talent, they have the opportunity, but maybe they don't have what it takes in their mindset to really say, yes, I want to go after it, and I want to really do that. And that's when I was looking at this person in the eye and said, look, I will do absolutely everything that is necessary that is in my capabilities to go after my dream, and I want to go there. So that's when this person helped me to get in contact with different universities, after having all the exams, after having all the course certificates that were necessary, and I got a few offers. And uh, of course, the decision was easy. I went uh, for the university that gave me the biggest amount of support, financial support, because at the time, of course, my father said, you know what? You want to go to the moon? I'm going to take you to the space shuttle. But then the space shuttle, you have to take on your own to go to the moon. And uh, you can go to the best schools in Milan. If you want to go to America, my son, please go for it. I'll I'll support you to the space shuttle. But you have to go to the moon on your own. So that's when I really decided, yes, I got the scholarship. I went. I took an airplane on August 2000. And that's when I started my journey at Radford University in Virginia.
0: And after finishing in in school in Italy, like you mentioned, you you went to Radford uh, University in the States. And during our conversation, you touched upon the cultural differences that, you know, became very apparent to you when you landed in the U.S. Uh, Could you shed some more light on your four years in the U.S.?
1: Of course. Uh, as the moment you land, well, the first thing is you think you are in dreamland, the, the university campus. It's something unique. You, you only have that in the States. The you know the beauty of walking, you have the library on the right, you have dormitories on the left, beautiful buildings, historical buildings. You have the common areas, cafeterias. You have everything is in within one, two kilometers, and that's the beauty of the experience. So you think, wow, this is paradise, it's dreamland. Then, First meeting, the first head coach, first lesson was, ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you one thing that you should remember forever. The Second is the first of the losers, and that was thrown out by literally. I was, I fell off my chair because I was like coming from, of course, a high school where you th- you think uh, in a different way. Your medals, dreams, and here is a very competitive spirit coming in. Um, The eyes of the tiger, the tiger's eyes, and the go-after mentality, the go-getter mentality. And that is a very true, very dominant type of mentality that a lot of American schools uh, instill upon the athletes. And they build also a successful career after having this very, very competitive nature and competitive mindset. Uh, in their process, not just in the competition, uh, but also in the training uh, mm, part of, of the daily activities at school. So that's, yes, absolutely a difference in terms of the attitude of the cultural settings. Um, and of course, uh, that was, for me, important. Because as a person, I grew into uh, in, a, in a, at a different level. I grew into being, uh, yes, of course, um, motivated, but also being able, what I always say, to perform at the moment that counts. You, it's a science of training. Yes, you can be very good at what you do, but then it comes down to the art of competing. And you know you know what? That moment when the competition lights up the, the lights and that, that's the moment when you have to really perform, That's a, that's the time where you can divide the world into people that get excited about that and they take the best out of that opportunity, and people that are afraid and get overwhelmed and they get uh, discouraged by that type of environment opportunity. And that mentality had a very big impact for the remains for the rest of my, of course, college years. I graduated after the first year, second year. I was um, a normal, average athlete. By the time I turned my junior year, my senior year, I actually. Graduated as the scholar athlete of the university, among the top 15 student athletes in the United States. I was all-American academic team for two successive years. I was a finance outstanding senior. I was dean scholar of the media studies department. I was absolutely on a trajectory of a high-performing athlete, high-performing student. And that is thanks to the mindset approach that I had at the very beginning. Um, And that's exactly what um, I learned being in a university in the United States. Um, And all of a sudden, that part of my life, as beautiful as it is, I was like a Marine, going from 8 o'clock to midnight every day, having a structured work, continuing to train, to study, to work. And I come, of course, back to Europe Um, And that's when I all of a sudden fell in love. And that's a new chapter of my life. I I fall in love. I decide not to go back to the States. A new dimension in my my life comes in. And at the same time, I had to start, of course, my professional career. And that's when, at 23, I decided to stop completely my athletic activity. It came all of a sudden from being a high-performing athlete, top 15 in the States, high-performing student, All-American, all the national records, I mean, all the school records and the national NCAA competitions to a sudden stop. I pretty much retired when I was 23. And I was ready to go into what is considered normal life. Why? I was good, but I didn't think I was maybe that good. And also, you, you get involved into the normal circle of life. You get involved into, OK, what are you going to do between 25 and 30? you're going to keep doing for the rest, most likely, of your life. I had people advising, be very careful about your professional choice. You don't want to jeopardize your future professionally. You want to stick to your career. You have a great education. You have a great mind. You don't just want to go after you know, a, a dream, a, like a dream, a childhood dream of the, of the Olympics. Come on, be real. Um, you're 23. You're not a kid anymore. Just go. Uh, be safe. Go on a professional career. And I, I had to really these insights from a lot of people. And that's when I started to just to um, to work. I stopped running, stopped competing. I was in Milan. I started to work as a business consultant in a strategy consulting firm in Milan. Then they gave me the respons- responsibilities, increasing levels of responsibilities to build their company in Italy and to go after, of course, the growth of the company. And now we are in the, in the time of my life where. I always say, I lost that fire. I lost that fire that I always had in me through my childhood, through my high school years, through my career at university. All of a sudden, I really collided. I crashed with reality. and That crash was big. It was big, where it destroyed completely my inspiration as being an athlete. And I started to conform and to go into a normal life, a life that everybody wants, a life that everybody does, a a typical professional career development life. And I woke up one day, and I remember that clearly. I was like, this is really... I mean, I looked at myself in the mirror. I looked myself long enough in the mirror, and I said to myself, Goran, I don't see anymore that sparkle in your eye. I talked to myself in the mirror. I said, where is the sparkle in your eye, man? Where is that fire that you always had waking up every day and going after your dreams and doing things every day because of that dream? So I said, "Okay, you know what? I really wanted to be an Olympian when I was a kid. I was in the States because of athletics. I was able to really go after my biggest decisions in life thanks to the athletics. There is this one dream that is still unaccomplished that is in the back of my mind and I just cannot let it go. And the second idea that came in was, man, you're now 27. It's either now and or never. And it's not the never you tell to your girlfriend that maybe after three or six months you think, oh, yes, she's going to still be around. You can still say hello. No, it's never, ever, perpetuity, forever in the entire history of humanity. So that idea of ever... Forever, not just for but forever perpetuity. That kicked in and said, "Okay, it's either now or never." And I remember picking up the phone after this talk, after this conversation with myself in front of the mirror, and I called. I remember my brother, and I said, "Boris, I decided that I want to train again for the Olympics." And literally, the phone went toot 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 toot. To. Really. He just literally left the phone conversation. He was like, I guess you are just you just hit your hand. I shared that also with my family. It's the first people, of course, you talk about things, important decision. And the, the reception was, My son, are you okay? Is everything okay? Are you crazy? You have a professional career? Don't jeopardize your career. So that's you see, your brother is telling you is not answering, he's putting down the phone on you. Your family is telling you you're crazy, you should not jeopardize your career. So where do you go? You talk with your coach. Okay, so I talked also with my, at the time, coach. And here we go. I I remember he said, well, I'm not sure if you have the necessary, you know, the technical assets that may be necessary to go to the Olympics because otherwise you would have already done it. And you know what? In front of the universe. So I I had the universe against me and I took a position and said, I don't care. I'm going to go after it no matter what, because I believe inside my heart that this is something that I will pull out and I will do that. And that's exactly when I put my shirts on. I remember I took the shirts, the shoes, and started to run. And that's all of a sudden where you have a disconnect between your mind and your body. I still thought that the body was the same physical body, athletic body that I had left three years before when I actually graduated. And I was at the peak at the time of my of my athletic career. And then the body, all of a sudden, after 100 meters, the heart was beating very fast. My breathing was very fast. And it was like, man, this is not possible. I'm an athlete. Come on. Come on. I was talking with my body. This is not happening. So I had to go through pain. I had to go through really rainy days. There was cold. There was sun. There was... No matter what the condition, I had to reserve. I was reserving my hotels on booking.com just by looking if there was a park nearby or a track and field stadium nearby so that I could excuse myself during the business day at 5 o'clock. And I had to say I had a conference call with a client in the States. The reason was I was going back to my hotel and I was putting my shorts on and I was going for my training in secret. I was ashamed to tell that to the clients. So I was training secretly And I was doing that every day, even if I was a businessman and I was traveling. Sometimes I would even stop my journey and I would put my shirts and I would travel just because I had to do that before nighttime. So you had imagined the the hurdles and the absolute determination that I had at that time to really go after this one dream. and That is 2007. So we're talking about now one year one year before the so imagine you tell if you had your brother telling you you want to go to the Olympics one year before you <laughs> would probably hang up on him
0: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> claiming that you'd, you'd be there uh, is one thing and it sort of is inspiring as well but I'm sure there would have been you know treacherous training hours that followed after that you know after you made up your mind that you want to be want to be there and how did the the, the, the pre-olympic training phase come along for you especially considering that you were only a year away from the olympics because uh, in normal circumstances it's definitely late for for an athlete to decide to go to the olympics right
1: yes absolutely so yeah i, I would <clears throat> let's say looking at the timeline um the pre-olympics um, time would be one year and a half before so january January, February, 2007, that's when um, I, was, I made up my mind and I was, let's say, thinking about doing more training, investing in myself. Um, and then it came down to, okay, I want to build my um, physical performance uh, at, the most, at the highest possible level. So I looked at the list. I was living in Italy at the time. So I looked at the list and I said, who is the best athlete in Italy? If you want to be the best, you have to train with the best. So I put the list down, and I said, OK, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call. They were friends, of mine. I'm going to call the number one athlete in Italy. So I want to train and just copy and paste what he's doing. And I picked up the phone, and I called him, and he, he was not available because he was in a training camp with uh, the Italian team. And he was preparing for the World Championships in Osaka in 2007, which were going to be held in July, in August. So, OK, I, I, I draw a line on his name, and I said, OK, who is the second guy? I got the phone number of the second guy. I called him up, and he said, well, you know, uh, it's good to hear from you. Great, great, but my wife is pregnant. It's not the best time to be now training together. And they said, yes, but are you, are you there? Are you in training camp near Brunick in the north of Italy? He said, yes, but, you know, maybe it's not the best time. OK, don't worry, don't worry. Put out the phone. I took three weeks off from work, vacation, using my vacation time, and I went out there. I literally started, I went on my own, investing again in myself, and I, I was staying in a dormitory. I was paying myself, self-financing my expenditures. I had pretty much no team. I had no national interest. I had nobody looking at me. It was just me and no, not even a coach, nobody that was really with me. I just wanted to go with the best and train with the best to copy and paste what it was doing. So I, should, I, could not, I was not, not even allowed to be in the track together. So I, I was training on a, on a, on a, on a gravel uh, field, soccer field. And one day, I remember I was doing some circles on this gravel. And the, there is a person that comes up and says, excuse me, who are you? And I said, well, I'm just here to lose weight. And uh, I said, ah, it doesn't look to me that you're losing weight. You are looking good. You're, you're running fast. And then he said, Well, yes, I'm actually just trying to pick up some speed here. Okay, you go there. And when I whistle, you you run. Okay. So that's what I did. He came, I arrived and said, Okay, how was it? He said, You don't make questions. Go back there and now you run again. And I ran again. The second time I said, was it how was it? He said, Look, this is you go there. I, I look at the I look at the time, you just think about running. So I go there and I go the third time. And, uh, you know, he was like, okay, um, so tell me the truth. What are you doing here? Because you are doing very, very good here. I said, well, I'm actually, you know, I'm hoping to run for the championships and the Olympics. Okay, very good. But uh, if you want tomorrow, you can come up to the track to join our session. He was the coach of the athlete that I called, and he by chance ran into me. And that's when I was invited to join him. And that's kind of when I started to train with them uh, together, just literally putting myself behind this athlete and doing the copying and pasting, and doing exactly what he was doing. And he was the second best athlete in Italy, and that was nobody. I, I was just uh, officially losing weight. And uh, of course, I was behind, but that was good. And um, I showed up in a race. I did good in, in um, Porto Recanati, nearby Recanati in Italy. And that's when the race where everybody knew that if I were going to do well in that race, that was it, no, nothing would have stopped me. And I did relatively well. So I did the time that, just to put in perspective, I did the 348 on the 1500, which is 10 seconds higher than the Olympic standard one year before. This was in June. And you're thinking, in one year, 10 seconds is like what people do in five years in their athletic life. So, okay, no matter what, I'm going to do it. I invested again, and I go again. I took another two weeks break, and I went to St. Moritz. And here I am in St. Moritz in Switzerland with other friends, and that's when I received a phone call. I received a phone call while I'm in the the training camps in St. Moritz that I received officially the Serbian nationality that I asked for when I was a, a teenager to make my mother happy. And that's when uh, all of a sudden I could participate to the Olympics also for Serbia, which was the side of the family that was far away. I always wanted to make them proud. I always wanted to make my mother proud. I always wanted to represent Serbia uh, at the high level to make, of course, this uh, part of my story, personal story, uh, very proud about what I was doing. And that's when the idea came, you know what, I can also represent Serbia at the Olympics. And that is, that's then just the beginning of being even more determined, being more concentrated and being more focused in, in really going after this dream. And fast forwarding that now, looking at the, so this is June, July, and going into September, I improved again. So I came down, I was 3.43, but that was five seconds, five seconds away from the cutoff time. So that's when, what, what are you going to do? I started to be invited. At that point, I got in the rudder of the National Federation, of, of the Italian National Athletic Federation. And they started to invite me, of course, to represent Italy. Not because they had a genuine, genuine interest in having me represent Italy, but because they, of course, wanted to put their hands on an athlete that came out of the blue, that looked very promising, and they wanted maybe to have a shot to share this story and to tell the world, look, we have a new middle distance athlete. And they were inviting me to make sure that I could protect that. And that's when I said, no, wait a minute. I want to keep myself clear for the IF rules. I don't want to engage in any national team. I want to wait until I'm qualified for the Olympics, and then I will make my choice, because that's, to me, the number one thing. It's my childhood dream. And that is when, again, I went back in training camp, came back in April, in May 2008, just two months before the Olympics, and, and it was a total disaster. I spent the entire winter season training and growing and doing weightlifting, doing aerobic training, doing speed training, doing power training, doing lactic acids, everything you can imagine, going in training camps, and you go in the first competition, and that's five seconds. It's still like the previous year. So I was pretty much, I was destroyed. I was like, okay, this is not going to happen. And uh, I had two choices. Either I, I give up or I double down. And I decided, you know what? It's, it's not going to happen again. We are in May now. The Olympics are in August. I don't have a second chance here. Let's double down. And I decided to go back to train and again in Brunic, in Italy, high altitude training alone. And that's I remember there was an episode when even some, there was a lady that was living there with no car, no telephone, no connection to the world, no connection to the universe, I would say. And one day we were talking and she said, you know, I've been looking at you, Goran. You've been here on your own. You've been training. I know what you're doing. I looked at your name, and this is a message for you. And she just wrote on a piece of paper with a special character, glowing, a glowing, beautiful yellow in Italian, Giochi Olimpici Riceveranno astronascente," which stands for the Olympic Games will receive a new, a new star, a new gl- glowing star. And I was like, I had shivers coming down my mind because, again, I was nobody there, basically. I didn't even run. I was the champion of my house. I was not even champ, Italian champion. I it was nothing. So that's when I go back again. I was fully motivated. Okay, perfect. Even the stars, the, the, there is a destiny behind. It's aligned with me. I go into a competition in, uh, in uh, Saragossa, again, a failure. Total disaster in Spain. And I decided at that point, one there was another race in Milan 3 day after a few, a few weeks, on the 800. And that is, again, even worse. So it was going backwards. So that's when I started to say, OK, well, you know, I just have to acknowledge reality. It's not happening. It was 10 days, 10 days before the deadline. So that was on the 3rd of July, let's say, the, the very beginning of July. The Olympics are in August. And you're still nobody. And you are f- failing mes- miserably. And that's when I was ready to go to book my vacation. I remember having having Messenger open, and I was booking Messenger. And all of a sudden, I'm uh, booking this reservation to go on vacation. And a friend of mine comes up and says, hey, I heard you're training for the Olympics. When is your next race? Well, long story short, she convinced me not to go on vacation and to participate to the last race, the very, very last race available in my life at the time and in the circle of athletics. To qualify. And that was in Milan, and that's half an hour from where I live. And that is the meeting Notturna di Milano, where you have high-caliber athletes from the world already qualified for the Olympics, and they're there just to fine-tune their preparation. And that was a big, of course, big, big race. And I didn't even think I could get accepted. Well, I got accepted in their race thanks to some connections, and I was put on the, on the line to run in the 1500. And uh, before, of course, the race, my coach at the time told me to run the race completely different from I've ever done in the past. He said, don't run it like you've done so far. Just start slow. The first 600 meters, switch off your brain, and then start to move one athlete at a time and start to pass each individual athlete one by one and just keep going and keep passing one by one and never stop. But the first 600 meters start slow. And then I had another person that was one of the managers of my team who came to me next, before the race just next to me and said, no, Gorn, don't worry. If it is your night, it's going to be your night. And uh, you just don't worry about it. And, that's, and you're thinking, oh, man, this, uh, this is, it's easy for them. I, uh, okay, let's go. Let's do it. Pressure. So the race starts. Sorry?
0: No pressure at all. <laughs>
1: No pressure at all. And that's when you have, by the way, I had my girlfriend, I had my family, I had my brother, and my brother was the one that just to, one year before, he said, go on, don't be your, don't, you said, life is not like being Peter Pan. Stop being Peter Pan. You cannot make it. Come on, stop. And this is your brother, huh? It's your first line brother telling you this. And he was there at the night. So he was there looking at this last chance meeting. And it's either in or out, in life. No more other choices. I mean, literally. So the race goes off. The gun shuts. And then, boom, I start the race. And here I am in the middle of the pack. And I'm thinking, OK, hold your horses, man. Go slow. Go slow. And that's when I don't have a clue about how fast am I going. Literally, we go the first 500. I have no idea. I'm thinking I'm going fast. I'm going slow. But the reality, I was going very fast. And I, th- I thought I was going slow. So that's when, after 600 meters, I start to pass first person, I pass the second person, I start the third person, and here we go, the bell, the last lap goes off, and I look look a little bit up with my eyes, and I see in front of me the athlete from Italy that was already qualified for the Olympics, who was going for the World Championships, and I see other four or five Kenyans. And I'm like, man, this is the head of the race. These are all Olympians. These are guys that, you know, they're going in one month to Beijing. So I told myself, just stick to these shorts, these red shorts in front of me. For whatever reason in the world, you're not going to let them go away from you. And I put my eyes on the shorts of the athletes in front of me. We, last, we ran the last lap, and that's on the last even straight away. I was ready. I was passing a few people, and that's when I arrived. And I had no idea of the time, literally no clue. And I just finished in the middle of the top five. I had no idea. And the first result goes 3.36. The standard at the time was 3.39. And I had to run under 3.39. And then the second goes 3.37. And the, fourth, the third is 3.37 and high. And then goes the athlete in front of me from Italy, who was 3.38. And I thought, OK, I was just there with him. I have to be under 3.39. But the problem, there was a technical problem on the screen. So my result was not coming out. It was there for like, it was for one minute and a half, the, the results did not come out. And I was standing in the middle of the stadium and there are, there were other athletes and the, and the judges were telling me to move. And I said, I'm not going to go anywhere until I see my time here. And then all of a sudden, after one minute and a half, almost two minutes, the result came out. And that was 338.35 by 65 Five hundredths of a seconds, which is—it's the. This is exactly the time. It's nothing. It's like this amount. I made it for the Olympics. You cannot imagine. I started to scream of happiness. I started to jump. People in the stadium—they knew me because, of course, I was born there. I grew up there. Uh, my brother jumped in the stadium. You see people cra- getting crazy on the stadium. I was doing a victory lap, even if I didn't win as if I was, you know, the champion. And I could just not believe that all of a sudden I was, I made it. I was in, in, not yet an Olympian, but I was—I well, qualified for the Olympics. And that's, that's the proof that it came down to the very last, last race possible. And it came down after 15 years or even 20 years, since I was 10, I was 27, so 17 years of trying and 17 years if you add up each day of 17 years, well it's a long time. It's a really, really long time. That's pretty much how I made it to the Olympics. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you know, now that you have qualified for the Olympics, uh, you know, you you had a major decision in front of you in terms of deciding who do you represent, Italy or Serbia. And you know, like you mentioned, it was very serendipitous for you to get the, the Serbian citizenship just you know a year before um, the Olympics and just when you decided you want to go to the Olympics uh, how did that transpire out for you and you know how did you made made your decision to go for Serbia?
1: Yes, absolutely. I was actually uh, in a position where I could uh, I could try one more one more time to make the A qualifying standard for Italy. My qualified standard was the B standard, which is enough to go to the Olympics, assuming there is no other athlete representing that country uh, that has already an A qualified standard. And that's when you know I asked the Italian Federation, because of the fact that I was, of course, I was raised in Italy. If I could run in the Golden Gala at the Diamond League race in, in Rome. Uh, just a week afterwards, because of the huge improvement that I did, it was just a matter of one second or and a half more, two seconds more, so that I have that A standard that could allow me to go with any of the countries that I decided, either Italy or Serbia. And that's when the Italian Federation refused to let me even show up at that race, not even giving me the chance to qualify and to make the A standard. And that's pretty much, I remember, uh, the head coach of the Italian national team was uh, in a very hard position. He wanted me to race, but then some politicians inside the federation, they did not like the fact that I could choose also to represent my mother's country, which was Serbia. And uh, they were like, no, I want to put a ban. And uh, I remember watching watching on TV the Golden Gala race, the Diamond League race, and that's when I picked up the phone and they called the Serbian National Federation and said, you know, guys, Let's go to Beijing. And that's when I chose to represent Serbia. The Serbian national team and the Olympic team has always been for me like a home, uh, great hearts, great tradition of sports, great uh, recognition of the individual achievements. They actually made three questions. Did you qualify? Yes. Do you, of course, have the rights to participate as a Serbian citizenship? Do you have the care of your team? Yes. And we have one last question for you, which you have to answer. Do you want to go to the Olympics? <laughs> and I said, yes, of course. Okay, let's do it then. As simple as it is, that is the Serbian mentality. As simple as it is, as transparent as it is, as beautiful as it is. Whether in Italy it was more political and you have to be inside in their circles in Rome. And so that's where my choice opened a completely new dimension. It became a new home. I didn't speak Serbian at the time, uh, despite the fact that half of my family is from Serbia. And they had the beautiful opportunity to learn that during even then the next steps as uh, I will be happy to share during the Olympics, having the coaches coming during lunchtime with me and introducing me and say something in Serbian, And it was so fun, you know, everybody was helping. me, And um, to a certain extent, this choice came completely out of the blue also for Serbia. Because here we go on the newspapers. So the newspapers, and when, before I go into, of course, the, when I announced that, even the alignment, can you imagine? I just retrieved, I retrieved these documents. Uh, I was officially granted Serbian nationality citizenship starting on the 3rd of July 2007, which is exactly one year before the Olympics. And there is a IAF norm, that states, in order to be able to represent the country, you have to have at least one year, one year of citizenship. And this decision, believe me or not, was not made just a few months before. This decision was made in 2003, where the official Ministry of Interior said that on the 3rd of July 2007, I would be given the official citizenship. That's destiny. You cannot fight destiny. So that's exactly, that's exactly what happened. And uh, that's when the new family of friends, a new family of athletes came together. Uh, great personalities, uh, as you can imagine, the, number, the biggest names today and at the time also were, you know, Novak Djokovic. Is, we were together on the team. Um, Milora Ciavich, which is the challenger of Michael Phelps, who pretty much just lost because of a of a slight differences in the touching of the pad, the Omega pad in swimming. The volleyball team, who was world champion, European champion, Olympic champion. The basketball team, that is the only team in Europe, maybe with Lithuania that can stand up against the U.S., uh, the NBA U.S. guys come and they are kind of respectful of the national basketball team. And here we go also in athletics. You know, I am coming from nowhere, also in Serbia, and the newspapers are like, we have a 90-second edition, 90-second qualifier of the Olympics. And this is Goranava. And the people were like, Goran who? Because Goran is a Serbian name. So they're like, who? Who the hell is this guy? Where is this guy coming from? And that's when I went to Belgrade and I was dressed up in my professional attire and I had even to pick up my uniform. I had no uniform. And they took me to the, to the uh, storage area where all the bags and all the uniforms were and they had to look at my size to see between L or, or XL. And that's when you show up on the, <laughs> literally on the, on the bus going to the airport and you look like an alien. Because people are looking, who is this guy? Who is this guy? And you're like, hello, everybody. Hi. And you're talking maybe even English in Serbia. <laughs> or maybe you're trying to mock in Serbian some hello. And they are looking more at the hell. He's coming from where? But then they are, all of a sudden, they want to know more about you. And uh, that's the journey. We are in the airplane. We flew actually from Austria with Austrian Airlines. So it was uh, beautiful from Belgrade to Vienna and then from Vienna to Beijing on an Austrian airline flight. And here we go, the Olympic experience began, began. yeah.
0: And having made it to the Olympics with you know, just one year of dedicated training is a, is a feat in itself. And at the Olympics, uh, you, know, you you finished 35th, but how was your experience at the Olympics and what were your feelings about your performance? And more importantly, what is your idea of success and how would you rate your performance?
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, this is uh, absolutely one of the most important and most beautiful experiences I have experienced in my life, not just as an athlete, but as an individual. Um, to, you know, the first, to answer your question, the first thing about the Olympics is uh, to just describe the experience. You are in a beautiful environment surrounded by Uh, athletes that have the same passion, they share the same vision, they they share the same goal. So no matter what level you you have Michael Jordan, Novak Djokovic next to you, you are all equal. You are there because you have a chance to really win that medal. No matter if you qualified the last week, like I did, or if you trained one year, or if you trained the entire life, you have that chance. What is on paper is on paper. Then everybody has to stand up. And the experience of the Olympics was beautiful also in terms of the environment. It's, you have a beautiful village. China was opening up, the, of course, the, to the world, the power of China. They had uh, done a great, amazing job in terms of the village. The Olympic village is the cradle of culture. It's an expression of the small world into the world. You, you could see the differences in cultures even in the way the, the Olympic homes were built. You could see the Greeks, for example, taking out all the chairs and all the tables and even smoking at the Olympics because they are heavy smokers. And then you go after and you see the Brazilians, which are really, you hear music when you go by their houses. And then you go to the Russians, and that's where you have bodyguards and they're looking serious. And th- then you go to, you know, you go to the, I guess, uh, the, you know, each country had its own culture. And that was literally beautiful. Different colors, different musics, different faces, different races. But you're all brothers and sisters, and you share the same again the same values and the same um, vision about why you're there. And uh, when it comes yes to my performance, it was of course I was that was you 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 look at I have some you know videos about the race and I look at the race and you know on the lineup. If you look at the lineup, you see you had the uh, Future Olympic champion next to me is Asbel Kiprop. He was literally next to me. Then I had the current world champion, uh, Bernard Lagat, who in the previous year was a world champion. He was just two steps behind. Then I had the European champion. I had the Canadian champion. I had regional champions. Everybody was a champion. And I thought, OK, I am the champion. Of, I'm not even the champion of my house. I mean, I don't even have the title. I didn't have any title. I was just you know a businessman that showed up and I were, I was there, yes, of course because I had this big dream
0: with, with just one one year's preparation as well. so yeah,
1: exactly after stopping and going there and you're like just showing up and you're like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna kick your ass. I'm gonna beat you guys. And you have that fear, this determination. And that's also just to put another thing, everybody was almost lined up. My grandmother gave me a ladder before the race. she she's now she's now 98. The tension was almost ninety, and I remember I brought that letter in the field, and I started to read it. And there was the judge of was asking everybody to to line up, and I said to the judge, "Hold on, I want to finish this letter." And I literally said that to the athlete because to the judge because I want, the letter of my grandma was very very important to me. And that's well, you know when okay great you bring these personal stories at the Olympics. You just see this in the movies. And that's when I I show up, and uh, yes, you are, boom. The the gun goes off, and uh, here we are. Everybody literally flies. And where do I find myself? Last. Here I am last. 15, 16 people, 16 athletes, all running in front of me. And 200 meters goes, 300 meters goes. And after one minute into the race, the the entire race is about three minutes and and 40 seconds during the qualifier. And that's when, you know, after one minute in the race, I'm like, Gora, what are you doing? Do you understand these are the Olympics? You know, you're not running another, you know, in another, you're not running just here for, you know, this is the Olympics. It's now, man. It's now. So that's when I was, I saw everybody. And that's when I decided, okay, let's go for it. And I went from being the last of the pack with the, with a wall of people. I started to move and within 20, 30, 40 meters, step by step, here we go. Gora Nava taking the lead. And I was in front of all these champions. And that's when you see the commentators were like, scrambling even to find my name on the starting list because they were like, (laughs) oh, shit, where is it? Okay, yes, Nava representing Serbia taking the lead. And uh, that is when I have, okay, very, very mm, determined the night before the race, I had, you cannot imagine how many, I had like thousands of messages on my phone. And that's when even I had national champions, national record holders, even from Italy, they hold the record. They were Olympians. They even called me to, uh, to tell me, everybody told me how to run the race. And I, I paid attention, of course, to some of the advices. And they said, when it comes down to these races, you have to be in a great position. You have to be able to strike. Don't wait too much. Stay in the lead. You are also big. You can also defend the position. 600 meters to go, you have to be in second or third position at the most. And you have to be able to be in strike position. And that's exactly well. I anticipated that a little bit by moving up in the front. But when it comes down to 600 meters to go, here I am. I mean, the commander is Nava taking the lead. Nava is in the lead. Nava is in the... I was in the lead and I was controlling, actually. That was part of the deal. So we go now the last 600 and that's when you start to feel the heat, the heat of everybody on. It's like lions. And I was, I was the king of the lions in that pack. I was the one that was rumbling the most. And I was there, 400 meters to go, the bell goes off, and I was on fire. And here's, you know, I'm in the front, 400 meters to go at the Olympics, I'm in the front. 300 meters to go, I'm in the front. 200 meters to go, I am still in the front. I remember during the race, I told myself, what the hell is going on? And nobody was, I mean, nobody was passing me. I just came off from my house, pretty much, and I was in the Olympics in front of the Olympic future champion, the current world champion. The world champion was behind me. So here we go, 150, the Olympic champion, Asbel Kiprop, starts to pass to be on my side, and I'm holding him, and then... 100 meters to go. I was in second position. And that's when the fire goes down and I'm putting down everything I got. And I see just, you know, a few people with the back of my mind, one, maybe two, three, four athletes. And then the last 40 meters, last 30 meters, 30 meters, here we go. The current world champion, the world champion passed me the last 30 meters, 30, 40 meters. And I'm like, okay, I arrived. And I just made the math, and I was six. I was six in that qualifier, which technically could have opened. Of course, I could have been, I could have been then in the next in the semifinal if my time was uh, considered was good for as a time qualifier. However, the next, of course, two uh, quarterfinal races, they knew our time and they ran, of course, faster so that they could go either as a direct automatic qualifier or as a time qualifier. So uh, I was six. I was in front of like within the pack of 16. I was in front of a lot of champions that had the PB, personal best, much better than me than what I had. And that's kind of where at the end of all the quarterfinals, um, I did not make it the final just for one spot, which is very, very unfortunate. But that's kind of how it goes. And. Um, yeah, that is my experience at the Olympics. And to um, you know, answer, to actually know, uh, and to put that in perspective, to answer questions that you have as an individual, is this a success? How does, how does a person measure success? What is, even, what is even considerable success? And if you ask me, this is where I realized and I, I learned that success is, is an, an absolute absolute relative metrics, absolute relative criteria that people put up on themselves. And if, as you can see, when you say absolute relative, it's also maybe a dichotomy, meaning that it's, they, they are actually conflicting terms. There is a measure of success, which is based on absolute recognition, which is made made of uh, accomplishments that everybody can recognize. Either you discover a new continent, you go to the moon, you are the richest man on the planet, you name it. These are absolute measures of performance. However, there is a relative measure of success and performance, which is, if you ask me, even more important, which is related to measuring your accomplishments against your your dreams. No matter what dream you have, if you can reach that dream, then you have been a successful person. No matter what the planet or what the universe says, The measure of success, the most important measure of success, and it's not given by the end also result. It's not just given by what you actually accomplished, but it's given by the fact that you can go after and you can do what you really wanted and you have a journey that leads you to a place that you really want. And this is a successful person to being able to wake up and say, I'm doing something that is really what I want, that is making me happy. This is a successful person. And then, of course, at the end, you may have a final outcome a result that can be uh, greater or smaller or higher or lower. But the ultimate measure of success is related to being able to embrace the challenge. And I always say you have to have absolutely four things. You have to have, of course, courage courage to start because the day I realized that in the mirror, it took me a hell of a courage to to say, I want to give this a chance because you have to go against a lot of people's opinions. Second is to be, of course, persistent, determined, to go after all the hurdles. If I gave up after the first race or even after the first time I was in training camp, or even after the second, or after the third, or after the first five years of my career, or even after the first 12 years, I would have never made it. So being determined and persistent, that is absolutely key to accomplish and to reach what you really dream. Because you never know when it's going to happen. You really never know. In my case, it happened when I thought it was never going to happen. If it wasn't for destiny, probably, or other people, I would have probably given up. So there is also a component of luck into that. But there has to be, again, an enormous amount of courage to begin. And determination to continue, and then on top of that, I always say, of course, you have to do, you have to have an ambition mindset an, ambi- an ambitious mindset, but that has to be in the back of your brain. You don't have to brag about this. You have to have it there. You can declare it. You can commit to that, but it's a written small in your heart. But then, what has to be tattooed on your skin, on your heart, very, very big is sacrifice you have to go and endure a lot, of, a lot of sacrifices. And that is in training, in improving yourself, in continuously making sure that you're going to the next level no matter what. And that's absolutely very, very important to have. So that, that, is, that is where success in my personal life has been measured around. I was able to reach this childhood dream. I did it in the most dramatic way, probably, And the most unexpected way, and that's when at the end I could sit down under a baobab like in the tree in full balance. And you feel you are fulfilled. You are fulfilled as a person. That's pretty much then moving me into a new dimension of my life as an athlete where if I was 27 and I was ready to pretty much retire again and finish if I didn't qualify, I actually ended up starting my athletic professional career at that time. And now, of course, going into the backlash into what I accomplished later, of course, I've managed in the next and the following years to really bring home some accomplishments that for me are very important. But just in, uh, to, you know, to be specific on those, uh, I was uh, able to, again, be in two world championships, outdoor and indoor in Berlin and in Doha, I was eight times in the European Championships, four-time finalist in the European Championships, being the top seven in, in Europe, having also national record, being becoming a national record holder in Serbia, uh, winning the title of best athlete of the year in 2009, being recognized by the President of Serbia who comes and congratulates himself with directly with me because of the accomplishments of, and the story that I have. And signing a letter of reference later on in my career, signed by the president of the country, for to, to support my studies at the London Business School in, in London, my executive MBA. Things that I would have never imagined. Um, and making, of course, uh, the team being, again, uh, one of the most decorated athletes in, in Serbia, in the middle distance. Uh, having new, of course, friends, including high-profile athletes like, Nole, like Djokovic, like all the other athletes that people know by just following all sports from Serbia, and that is where, of course, you find a, an amazing sense of uh, yes, I've done something that is very significant, and you become a role model. You become a role model where I had now athletes that are behind me, which look at me and they say, Garn, you are not. You've not been, you know, that Olympic champion. You've, you've not been that world champion, but." You are inspiring me more than anybody else because you proved, you're the living proof that if you want something badly enough, you can actually go and get it and make it happen. And they are inspired by this more than having maybe a naturally talented athlete that makes uh, the Olympics just because it's, it's, got, uh, it's got talented.
0: Yeah. And, you know, like you mentioned that you, you won the the most successful athlete of the year in 2009 for Serbia, and this is definitely a big, big achievement, especially considering that, you know, Serbia has also other really talented athletes like Novak Djokovic, who who won the bronze medal in the, um, uh, in the Olympics and also Neimanja Vidic uh, vying for that award. And, you know. Uh, you'd mentioned to me in our previous call that you know two or three years of running, you basically helped Serbia's sports budget being doubled year on year. What sort of yes. thing did it to gain such success in your second stint as an athlete, knowing that you know with just one decision made differently, all this would have just stayed a dream.
1: Uh, this is just the, these are the wonders of the universe. It's the butterfly effect. You are in front of a mirror, and you go and figure, and you go imagine how this decision will affect your life 10 years down the road. It's just impossible. But when you see that happening, and you realize that because of these small decisions, yes, you can change destiny of your own life, and in this case, even the just the destiny of an entire, even an entire sports nation, where the, the ministry of, of sports literally Showing up on Sunday and looking at our race at the University Games, where I was silver medal at the University Games in 2010 and uh, 2009, she was emotional. She was crying, literally crying by the way I ran. I ran five races in six days, and I literally collapsed on the field. And I won another medal for Serbia in front of the Ministry of Sports. And that's when I went, I was invited to go up the stands. And that's when the Minister of Sports is just hugging you and this literally is crying in front of you. And that's when it comes down to oh, yes, the athletes, they have the right to follow their dreams. They double up the budget, not just for me, for all the athletes, giving other athletes the opportunity to follow their dreams. The feeling is just amazing. Being the most successful athlete of the year 2009, also something incredibly. Amazing you again go from uh, having a dream then to be recognized and to have the responsibility to transfer and to bring also your uh, your success to others to inspire others and you there is no way to know that before the only The only thing you can imagine is that yes, of course, things will play out the way they you you are working for before then you have to have faith. Of course, they say you have to have faith in the process. You have to always think that if you hit hard enough, long enough, structural enough, the same way that you're supposed to do that, that's going to pay off. And that's one. Once you have that faith, yes, you are in the right path to make great accomplishments. But the only way you can have faith it comes down to passion. If you are passionate. In deep in your heart about something, that's where you can endure all the sacrifices and all the questions and all the faults that inevitably are, are going to come as they come with me at my level. They came across the life of any athlete and they will continue to come across the life of any athlete and not just in their athletic life, but also in their personal life. But if you are really passionate about what you're doing, you can live through this phases and take the best out of it and become even better and inspire others to follow you by that that is that is what really makes me also particularly uh, happy and particularly proud when I have of course done something that big or small as it may be yes it made somebody's life different it made my life different it made the life of the people around me different my family of my friends sometimes they come to me and say go on you're a source of inspiration just because of what you've done. And uh, that is the feeling of, wow, this is, yes, it's possible to do something great and then also to have a ripple effect on others and to inspire others to do the same. It's a virtuous cycle. It's a beautiful place. Yeah.
0: And having retired once again in 2017 and now working with Hag Lietner for almost five years um, and being their head of sales, what does the the future have in store for Guran?
1: Wow, that's then, yes, as you mentioned, uh, business has been always on the side of my athletic life. We... We saw my life through the eyes of my athletic career, but you have to imagine that starting when I was 24, I started to be a businessman. I started to see in finance the language like metrics. You start to see financial statements, and you think this is a world, this is a reality behind which gets, which happens, gets done. And that's where you have an entire new dimension coming up now in my life. Of course, having retired now in 2000. 17, after closing at the European Championships in Belgrade, uh, saluting everybody with a nice, also, news conference, saying goodbye to friends, to families, and the world of sports, and also having the last symbolic race of the European Championships in Belgrade. Now, of course, I am focusing intri- entirely on my professional growth. Um, I have a strong passion, of course, for uh, business, uh, particularly international business development, uh, uh, sales, and marketing, and um, having also finance. You probably know that I have been lucky enough to you know, graduate from Bradford as summa cum laude, as one of the most successful students, um, two majors, finance and media. So I'm putting all this intellectual capital that I had into the world of business and bringing what I say the language of business, which is finance, but translating that into the beauty of products, services, and people that bring these products and services to the markets. And this is, uh, again, another now dimension, but it's a beautiful dimension. Yes, it's true, I have to say, you don't find the same adrenaline that you may have in sports. Because let me, I mean, let me tell you, if I ask you, do you prefer to be the one that is shooting the penalty kick at the world final, the world soccer finals, Brazil against uh, um, Germany, and to shoot that penalty, to make the one team win or do you prefer to sign a 10 million contract? Well, my answer would be, I want to be in that final and shoot that penalty kick. All right. Okay. Because that's the way, of course, I, I like to live. It's about emotions, but of course, uh, business is giving of course different type of emotions is giving of course solidities, giving stability, is giving you aspirations about, Creating value, creating value for stakeholders, for your company, for your clients, and to a certain extent of course for yourself, because it's economically also the the base upon which uh, people can generate value through business. and you can apply that in different areas. I apply that now in the business that I am. and what reserves the future for me, we will see, of course, I'm in a typical career, a uh, corporate career where you're growing in incremental levels. You are now responsible for a small team. You have teams on the ground in Europe. They are working in sales and marketing. They are high-performing teams. You can put the same passion, same drive with that business, of course, savviness, which is necessary for the world of business. But you can really relate, yes, also there is a team. Yes, there is performance in business. Yes, that's where you want to bring what you've learned in terms of mindset, in terms of process in terms of all the elements we brought before, courage, determination, ambition, sacrifices, and being prepared to the business of war, to the world of business, yes. And that's where, yes, it's beautiful. It's great. It's exciting. I'm now in Austria. I have, of course, built the successful 15 years career. And what is going to be next? Uh, it remains to be seen. To a certain extent, uh, I am engaged in my business, current business um, growth in in the current uh, industry where I work. And uh, it will continue, of course, this way. Uh, At the same time, um, I'm very also passionate about sports. So there is now a three-year break um, from the last time I put my shorts on. A lot of people are speculating, will I go back to be a coach one day? I don't know. Uh, will I go back to inspire others, maybe on the side of, of, it, of a team? I don't know. Uh, but definitely sports has been part of my life, predominantly, and it will cont- continue to be part of my life also in the next years. So let's put this, this break of three years, maybe it's the same break that I experienced between 2004 and 2007. So there may be a comeback also in the world of sports. Not as an athlete, not as an athlete, um, but in another capacity. With that said, I started to play golf, but uh, I don't think I will be... Golf, I already ticked the Olympics, let's say, in my, <laughs> in my list. So golf is not to become an Olympian or to go to the Olympics. It's just because it's a beautiful sport. It's a really competitive sport, even if many people look at that as a leisure sport. If, if you have that mindset, it's really competitive. And But other than that, yes, we, I will... Very soon, be also involved again in sports. And on, on the side, of course, my professional and business uh, part of my life will continue uh, in the next years, uh, working always in the corporate setting and international level and further being my career. Yeah.
0: And uh, so well, it's, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Guran, today and knowing more about you. And I think it is very inspiring and reassuring to know that it is never too late to chase down your own dreams. So thank you so much for you know sharing your journey with us today, and we, we wish you the very best for for your future aspirations in business as well as sport. And really looking forward to you know uh, getting to see you in in any capacity possible again in the sport.
1: It was my pleasure, Nira. And you're right, it's never too late. And uh, I wish everybody could go after his or her own dreams. And uh, it was a pleasure for me also to be here today together.
0: Well, Goran's story is so inspirational. Having started training towards his dream of becoming an Olympian only a year before the Olympics and then failing multiple times to qualify and then eventually qualifying by a margin of 0.17 seconds. One can hear the passion in Goran's voice and how proud he is of his achievements. And why shouldn't he be? Not many can just decide they want to be at the Olympics next year and then be able to deliver on that promise. This shows that grit alone can take you so far in the world of sports. So that's it for this episode, folks. Thank you for tuning into The Gifted Podcast. I have been your host, Neeraj Mulani. A gentle reminder, you can find us as The Gifted on your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. Keep following us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube as The Gifted Podcast and on Twitter as The Gifted Pod so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. Thank you once again for listening, and I'll see you next week with another special episode. Until then, stay well and keep your masks on.